What's going on guys, it's your man with the plan, Samuel Plan, coming back at you once again with another brand new installment of Sports Entertainment is Dead right here on Lords of Pain Radio. Thanks for tuning in guys, if you missed last week's episode you can still go catch that on demand, the way to do it is very simple, head over to Spreaker, head over to lordsofpain.net and you can catch my last episode of SCID on demand, you can also do it through your usual podcast provider as well. Please also make sure you check out all the other great shows here on Lords of Pain Radio. We have stuff coming to you each and every single day of the week, covering everything from New Japan Pro Wrestling, Ring of Honor, TNA, Indie Circuits, British Wrestling, you name it, we've got coverage for it. So do make sure you check out all the wonderful shows. You can do so by subscribing. Don't subscribe to Lords of Pain Radio, but do subscribe to each of our shows by their individual name, and that way you can make sure you don't miss a second of the great coverage we've got for you here on Lords of Pain Radio. It is another week in my ongoing project for Sports Entertainment is Dead Year 2. If, of course, you're unfamiliar with it, and this is the first time you're tuning in, I take a guest host every single week, and we explore a match chosen quite at random, historically either by myself or said guest, to explore the themes, the creative merits, the character, the narrative, its historical importance, anything that we think is worth commenting on. It's all inspired by my book, 101 WW Matches to See Before You Die, which you can still go ahead and buy on Amazon anywhere in the world. And, of course, it's also the inspiration behind my second incoming book, which will be a direct sequel to 101, but will be focused specifically on the new generation era. Both of these books explore many of the benefits that come with watching your professional wrestling as performance art rather than as sports entertainment, which, as the title of my show implies, is, in my belief, dead. That's what these match explorations aim to do as well. And this week, we have another and joining me this week is, well, he's another LOP living legend, if he doesn't mind me saying so. He is, of course, the author of Doctor's Orders on LordsOfPain.net. He is the host of the long-running podcast, The Doc Says, which preceded SEID in this Wednesday slot on Lords of Pain Radio. And he is the author of not one, but two books, uh, The WrestleMania Era, The Book of Sports Entertainment, and, of course, The Greatest Rivalries and Matches uh, of the wrestlemania era i hope i got that title right the book's on my bookshelf some way away so i can't quite read it uh he's well known to anybody who listens to lords of pain radio and to anyone who's read lords of pain.net over the years and he's been on the show before i want to welcome back the doc himself it's chad matthews welcome back to the show chad hey thanks for having me man i'm excited to be here excellent stuff so you're sort of fully aware of uh, the change that seid has undergone for its second year and we are looking at a match from the relatively distant past at this point this week. It was your pick, uh, and it's Jake the Snake Roberts versus Ricky the Dragon Steamboat in a snake pit match from Saturday night's main event on the 4th of October 1986. And the thing that I want to talk about from the off here, Doc, is that when I sort of approached you about coming on the show uh, and asked if there were any sort of matches that you... Uh, in particular would be interested in covering it was pretty much without hesitation that you suggested this one i'd be interested at the top of the show first of all to hear uh, and for the listeners to hear why it was you decided to pick this one out in particular well i wanted to i wanted to pick out a match from a far gone era that i felt like people would have a lot of fun listening to us break down and then 
since you are the performance art guy, I think that one of the most characterful times in WWE history was that Hulkamania era, the rock and wrestling era of the 1980s. It may not necessarily appeal to the, uh, you know, the, the match rating aficionados, but this type of match between Roberts and Steamboat is an awesome representation of the benefits, I think, of the performance art approach because you're looking at it through the eyes of these characters. And there are, are, are it's very distinct what both guys bring to the table here, which we'll talk about momentarily. But I thought that you would enjoy it a lot if you'd never really broken it down before. And I thought that the listeners would enjoy a good change of pace and, and maybe find a hidden gem at, at a time that maybe they hadn't really appreciated that much. Well, absolutely. I mean, 1986, it's before WrestleMania 3, obviously, which was a few months after this, of course, at the beginning of sort of roughly that beginning of 1987, March 1987. Uh, the reason I point that out is because uh, I, I sort of have seen WrestleMania 3 for some time now uh, as the night Vince McMahon sort of committed to what professional wrestling was then going to be for the next you know 20 30 years when hulk hogan beats andre the giant who had obviously been i believe undefeated for many years prior to that and hulk hogan being uh, sort of so, something of a, a wrestling fancy so for it to have preceded that i found very interesting and what struck me and as you say we'll sort of get into the characters and and uh, all that sort of good stuff as we go along here uh but the thing that I wanted to discuss first of all uh, was uh, the sort of the, the style of the match, which is, you know, I've spoken on this show before and I've written it before as well about uh, sort of ring fashions and the fashions of, of how wrestling matches look and watch changing over time. Uh, and obviously this is a, a world away from the kind of wrestling that we see predominantly in the ring today. Uh, I've often referred to wrestling from this golden age from the 1980s as being structuralist. It's not so much about what you do as, the, uh, as much as it is about the, the way that what you do is structured, you know, when, when it's done matters more than what's done uh, and this was a prime example of that i felt um and on the surface you know because it's a snake pit match uh, which essentially seems to translate as jake the snake roberts brings damien out but ricky the dragon steamboat combats that he brings out a uh, uh, what I would guess is a Komodo dragon. I'm no, you know, I'm no no ex no zoologist. So I don't know, but suddenly it's a dragon. It is indeed. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, you could be forgiven for saying it's quite an obvious thing to do. It's quite an obvious approach. But I think if you said that, it wouldn't necessarily be uh, an insult or a criticism of the match because it feels a little bit like the art of the obvious is something that's been lost a little bit in professional wrestling. Today, you can think of, I mean, in particular from this year, you think about the build-up to the women's main event at WrestleMania, for example. Uh, it could have been very, very straightforward and very, very simple and very, very basic, but they sort of horribly convoluted it with weeks and weeks of, of sort of back and forth, just haphazard storytelling. I always reference something like Jericho and Punk at WrestleMania 28 as well, which started out just stated as a best in the world versus best in the world and again got layered up with uh, you know demons of addiction and, and family past with addiction and all this kind of stuff and I felt like that watered it down 
it feels like what you see in this snake pit match isn't something we see very much anymore, which is them taking a very basic sort of almost high concept idea and then just sticking with that and then letting the performers uh, bring it to life through just characterful interaction in the ring. Yeah, I think one of the things that stands out about that 1980s style is it's it's not only is it simple, but you can tell that it almost seems like they go out there with that classic sort of mindset of what's what's all right, what's the finish? Okay, cool. All right, we'll work it out when we get out there sure. and just let uh, you know let the crowd dictate some of what we do and um, and and just let the character sort of rule the day. The action is so simple and basic. But it's in a good way, I think, when you watch something like this, because the characters pop. Jake Roberts is obviously a character that jumps off the screen. His presence is, even at this point, which, you know, for those not familiar, October 1986, when that Saturday night's main event match took place, that's very, very early on in Jake Roberts' WWF career. Mm. So, I mean, he had debuted, I think, um, I think he debuted earlier that year, if I'm not mistaken. So this is not somebody who has uh, evolved into the the three-dimensional type character that we would eventually come to know. But you could see the potential there from the mannerisms, the body language, and that emphasis on body language and character mm. and the, the, the facial expressions. That's really what makes 1980s wrestling, to me, noteworthy. It's not about the moves. It's about the actions and the characters really displaying um, what they believe themselves to be. It's it's less homogenized. Um, you know, it's, it's far, far less homogenized than what we see today when you get the sense that, you know, character is, is kind of almost thought of as a background piece of the puzzle or at least mm. is often seemingly presented that way in WWE today. It's, it seems it seems very frequently like it's left at the door the night of the big pay-per-view match to me, if that I, makes I sense. Would, I would agree with that. I mean, yeah. there have been some noteworthy examples of character consistency uh, in big matches like the Rollins and Lesnar match at SummerSlam this year. But mm-hmm. um, but beyond that, I mean, you, this, this is a, an example of a company that's putting together a roster of characters not wrestlers, so to speak, if that yes. if the distinction makes sense. So I, I love watching stuff like this because at a time when I really crave some of the simpler details being paid attention to, going back and watching stuff from the 80s is a callback to simple can sometimes be a really good thing. There is a reason why the KISS formula works. Keep it simple and, and just let these guys kind of just – work their character through the match and you're not often going to see in a situation like this anything aesthetically all that brilliant in terms of the uh the the physical action but if that's what you focus on here then you're missing the point absolutely i mean i you know my personal opinion would be that if 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 you're ever focusing on that over a character then you're missing the point of professional wrestling but that's a, a deeper conversation we've sort of had once before on this show uh, almost <laughs> a year ago um uh, and is perhaps a conversation for another day let's talk a little bit about the match then um the the first thing that i think it's worth pointing out and this is I feel like this is probably something you and I have, have, have had little debates about in the past, um, is that it's not that long a match. 
certainly by by modern standards where it seems you know and i was pondering this uh, a lot recently as of recording um you know the fact that again to sort of use a, a modern day comparison where we're living in an age where pay-per-views are more often than not closer to four hours than three hours regardless of whether they're a big four uh, and a large part because you know you get all of these sort of middle of the card matches uh, which if this was on a modern day pay-per-view it would probably be uh, and they, they last you know upwards of 15 minutes most of the time regardless of whether or not the story is particularly one that has popped the fan base regardless of whether the match warrants that length of time uh, but is is nonetheless there seems to be the order of the day and i think it it tends to rob pay-per-views of their pace and it tends to rob pay-per-views of their atmosphere a lot of the time because they sort of start to sag in the middle but i've always felt like matches just because a match is longer doesn't necessarily mean a match is better and i feel like this is a prime example of of that being brought to bear because it's it's in fact i've written my notes here you know while you could call it short in terms of runtime it doesn't feel short as much as it does swift uh, it reminded me a lot of the kind of match that roberts would have years later with randy savage at this tuesday in texas in the sense that it's uh, easily digestible uh, it's friendly to revisiting uh, the pace is uh, what I would describe as hasty particularly from Ricky Steamboat early on he sort of comes out lightning fast you know with his usual kind of uh, martial prowess in the ring um, but it's really I think yeah, and I don't mean to sort of to lambast Ricky the Dragon who I'm a big fan of always have been but I think it's really Jake who makes this, and I'm curious as to whether you'd agree. It's really, for me, Jake who makes this uh, as wonderful a match as it is to watch because his, and you referenced body language earlier, it's the way he's kind of, he's fixated on the dragon's own uh, bag with the dragon in it, which, you know, to begin with, you aren't and necessarily, it's sort of sold as if you're not sure whether there's a dragon in it or not or what's in it. Um, and Jake is, you know, you see the script flipped uh, and where usually Jake's psycholo psychological advantage with Damien the bag uh, would be to his boon. Here you see how he reacts when he's presented with the same situation. And he seems obsessed with uh, what is in Ricky the Dragon's bag. And, it, you know, it's a, it's it turns a kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? It's it's very rewarding seeing the villain sort of uh, put through his paces in that way, but only because I think that when Jake has the advantage, it's it's a deliciously evil performance from him. Jake was a performer and a character who enjoyed being the bad guy so much, and it was always so visible on television that he enjoyed doing that. And I think that's probably what made him such so you know putting aside kind of all of the stuff that we could say about him being one of the masters of of psychology and whatnot just the fact that he he so obviously relished playing those games with with other characters i think is what makes this match and and almost any uh jake roberts match so wonderful to watch on the ricky steamboat front yes for context ladies and gentlemen if you're not that familiar with this match and what led up to it um I want to throw that out there real quick because sure. I think one of the best things about Ricky Steamboat's game was when he had somebody to play off of, his babyface comebacks. I mean, his heroic sort of mm. struggle to try to get to a, a victory 
was palpable. You could feel it. But and, and what started this whole thing was Jake Roberts mentioning earlier, you know, he's just debuted. The DDT is is what he psychologically bi- always would build his some of his more famous matches around. Uh, as a babyface in particular, Jake Roberts would practically in later years, that would be it. I mean, that's the whole premise of, of a Jake Roberts match is just to hit his home run shot and try to goad you into being vulnerable to it. But what built the DDT's reputation was he he planted Ricky Steamboat's head into the arena floor. And the rumor has always been that it legitimately knocked him out, that it legitimately knocked out Ricky Steamboat. They certainly sold it that way. But there was a lot of talk behind the scenes that that's exactly what actually happened, is the DDT was established as this uh, this this really – um, deadly finishing move that if you got hit with that, then it was all over. So psychologically, that always played in to Jake Roberts' matches. So you have that setting the stage on a previous Saturday night's main event earlier in the year. And at that time, somebody hitting their finisher on you on the floor, no pads on the floor on this particular spot. So a, So basically just the concrete floor. That's the start of a really... I mean, that's that's the foundation for it may not seem like all that much now when we see somebody get, um, you know, thrown off the stage and then thrown out of a out of an ambulance and then thrown back into the ambulance. And then the ambulance gets pushed over and then a big giant crate's pushed on top of the ambulance and then it's lit on fire and it explodes. And the guy's back the next week uh, like nothing ever happened in a Band-Aid on his forehead. Uh, but back then. Getting knocked out, you know, and, and, and some may may be more familiar with another classic Ricky Steamboat injury, the one that he suffered to his throat leading up to WrestleMania three, as as planned referenced that event earlier as being sort of a, a foundational event for what we'd know WWF to become. But when Ricky Steamboat was in a mode where he was fighting back from something like that, that always to me was Ricky Steamboat at his WWF best Ricky Steamboat could do it all. He was someone who could wrestle for an hour and do that better than anybody else. But he could also go into these eight to 10 minute type situations and do that as well as anybody else. So uh, certainly Jake Roberts is the psychological hook that makes you drawn into the fiction playing out, particularly if you're not familiar with the backstory. But, you know, Ricky Steamboat always... Always has been said that he is the consummate protagonistic character in pro wrestling. He never was able to play a villain because nobody would buy it. He just looked like (laughs) a good guy, and he was the consummate good guy. So I wanted to throw that out there about Steamboat because this was one of those situations, in my opinion, where the, the scenario lent itself to playing to Ricky Steamboat's strengths, which is being opposite a cunning, sadistic villain like jake roberts and it was awesome with jake because there were so many simple elements to this match the the komodo dragon in the bag you know for those of you that aren't that familiar with jake roberts lore the whole of uh, one of his psychological ploys in every match was he had damien in the bag so you could throw that out there and that's always something that was designed to be a distraction to his opponent you get over to the corner in which that bag is laying and whoa, you got to back away from it because you know there's a python in it or 
Is suppose Damien a python? Uh, I have no idea. Yeah, let's say for <laughs> our sake, sake that Damien was a python. So, you know, you've got that that dangerous element. So to to give him a dose of his own medicine by bringing a Komodo dragon in in a bag, you've got you've got to watch him go through this the the psychological paces of oh crap, you know. <laughs> sure. No. Absolutely. There's this bag. Is there anything in this bag? Maybe there's nothing in that bag, and he's just messing with me. There is something in that bag. So this is what it feels like. You can kind of see those sorts of thoughts written on Jake Roberts' face. And, and that's when we talk about it not being about so much the action, but being about the, the, the smaller character details. That's, that is what makes the runtime flow so well and, and go by. See, I mean, again, I mean, it could be it doesn't feel like it's a short match because there's so much character involved that you just get sucked right in. And whenever it ends, then you get pushed back out, but it's, it's an experience of, of, of really enjoying those kinds of details and and nobody in that era, the reason folks, why people just absolutely put Jake Roberts on the pedestal when it comes to psychology is from matches like this and just watching the body language and the facial expressions. Committed is, is I think, the word uh, that I would use. Jake was so in character. In my, in my book, 101 WWE Matches to See Before You Die, available to buy on Amazon, folks, um, I uh, write, one of the matches I write about is Randy Orton versus Shane McMahon at No Way Out 2009. Uh, and one of the reasons I write about it is because of Randy Orton's commitment to his character in that match. That's something you got like, just as 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 the order of the day from Jake Roberts. At whatever point you you could lift it, you could pick him at any point in his WWF tenure. Pick any match he wrestled, whether he was a uh, a villain or a hero, uh, and or anti-hero for that matter. And uh, you know you'd get that incredible commitment to the fictional character that he's playing, which is uh, like we were saying earlier. I think. You know, again, something of a of a of a not even so much a lost art, but I think we sometimes as wrestling fans forget that what we're watching on screen is technically you know fictional characters interacting with one another, uh, rather than uh, you know it being presented as as the actual perform themselves. Wrestling such a unique beast in that sense that it I think it's easy to to lose sight of that line, but not when you're watching Jake Roberts particularly and uh, uh, you know support everything you said about Ricky's steamboat as well and I think that collectively what you get with this match is a, a, a real exercise in what just uh, 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 the, the how much a, a match can can live off of implication and, and subtext and what has uh, been augmented by a robust story leading into it and you can sort of talk about uh, what makes the story leading into it so effective, but it's almost irrelevant. The point is that because it's had that effective storytelling ahead of time, when you get to this big payoff match, which feels like a payoff match, in fact, me and Gene, I think in an interview before with Jake Roberts before the match, actively asks, is this a rubber match? Because they're, they're tied up one and one. <clears throat> um, it's it's made twice as effective. Everything means a little bit more because of the story and the affecting story that's been told ahead of time. So you get this atmosphere 
that again I think lacks today. It's it's sort of a bit like comparing. Uh, you know, I'm a big movie fan as well, and you have sort of uh, you know. Uh, body horror films, gory horror films, something like The Fly, for example, uh, which are horrific because of the content of the film and what you're seeing. And then you get psychological horror films that are more about the atmosphere, something like The Shining, which feel uncomfortable and feel disquieting. And I would always compare Jake Roberts, particularly this match, to uh, the the sort of the psychological horror film. It's about the atmosphere and it's about the implication. One of the things that we we've both written about at LordsOfPain.net uh, in the past, and something that I explore um, quite extensively in my book is the idea of genre in wrestling. And one of the things that I loved so much about this snake pit match is because it's not just Damien in the corner to pick up on what you were saying that is causing those kind of uh, reactions from, in this case, Ricky Steamboat, but because you've also got the Komodo Dragon on the other side of the ring as well, uh, it sort of becomes... It reminded me very much of the way that Am- Dean Ambrose sold the Lumberjack match with Seth Rollins ahead of time at SummerSlam 2014 as a human cage, which I think is something that has roots in the distant past as well. Um, and this was a, I got a similar vibe from this. It felt like, uh, in a strange way, not too dissimilar from a cage match because it felt like neither one of them could stray too far towards either corner without getting embroiled in something they didn't want to... BM broiled in, which was an interesting notation that I wanted to uh, to bring up. Is there? Do you think would this match have been heralded more than it is? And this is something that you have written about extensively yourself, Doc. Um, had it taken place a few months later at WrestleMania three? I think so. I think it would have been. Uh... Yeah, that's that's one of the things that that makes this choice um, one I wanted to make is that these this Saturday night main event franchise in its early phase was really it was what took the place of what we've now come to expect from monthly pay-per-views. So between Saturday night's main event and the core pay-per-view lineup that they would build in the WWF. That was how that that was where big feuds paid off. So this was a, a sensor, essentially the payoff of the Ricky the Dragon Steamboat and Jake Roberts feud. And I don't think that there's really any doubt if the same match takes place on a big pay per view, then by all means, you know, hypothetically, if 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 Survivor Series had started in 1986 instead of 1987, and they would have been positioned opposite each other um, in one of those types of five-on-five traditional elimination matches and then had this as a reference point to inform it. I think there are a lot of ways they could have put a a spotlight on this that would have historically made it more relevant. And it's kind of sad that it's not as relevant as it it could be just because of that, but I I don't think there's any doubt about that. I think you take the exact same match and splash it onto a WrestleMania three card and you know, Maverick often talks about the, how much love he has for the Billy Jack Haynes and Hercules match at WrestleMania three. I love that. Yeah. And, and I like it as well. You extract that and put this in its place. Then I think it only enhances the reputation of WrestleMania three and gives people a little, well, obviously you couldn't do that because you'd take away 
<laughs> Arguably <laughs> the greatest WWE match of all time that Ricky dra- that Ricky Steamboat was involved in. But just you know, for argument's sake, yeah, absolutely. He could have pulled double duty. It's fine. He absolutely um, could have, especially if they're wrestling for for eight minutes. Well, quite absolutely. Uh, and you mentioned earlier as well, just as we sort of round off here, um, quite early on in Jake Roberts' tenure. How important do you think? Because Jake Roberts would become, and it's it's kind of sad that you know his. I mean, his issues with obviously substance abuse have been very well documented over the years, and he's been himself very forthright and open in talking about it. Um, and that's probably a large reason why the company is, has, over the years, kind of distanced themselves from celebrating his career too much. But Jake Roberts was easily one of the linchpins of of that foremost era in WWE's modern history. Uh, and at times rivaled, many people say, Hulk Hogan in, in popularity, which is, they claim, one reason why the two of them never wrestled. Um how important do you think, given how early this is in his tenure with the company, this feud and, you know, by sort of uh, implication, this match was in establishing Roberts as a major player in the company um, to be pitted against the de facto hero of the day, if you like, the worker hero of the day, uh, and in a situation in which... Because, you know, lest we forget, Jake Roberts doesn't really get the last laugh here. Um, you know, he... he uh, I think he loses the match. I watched it about a week ago now, so I can't quite remember, but I don't think he wins it, does he? He does not win it. He does not. I no. think that undeniably... This was the feud that set the stage for Jake Roberts to become what he became. He, um, and, and this was the, the other interesting thing about this is it wasn't long after this that he became so popular that by WrestleMania three, he is no longer in the villainous role. And it's a long, long time before he takes on that villainous role again. So what you see in the Ricky the Dragon Steamboat match is not only the launching pad for the great career he would go on to have, his Hall of Fame career, but it's also the a big part of the very limited sample size of villainous Jake Roberts that we actually got. Peak villainous Jake Roberts is not someone who has a large library of work that you can choose to review and reflect upon. Because he was so good. This is one of those classic examples of one of those guys who was so good at being bad that the crowd very quickly started to gravitate toward him. And and, and there are lots of elements to that. You know, psychologically, this is a guy who in an era of bodybuilders isn't one. Ricky Steamboat looks like a Greek god, some would say. <laughs> Jake Roberts does not. So there was an everyman quality to him that you could see that you could just see when you looked at him. And and that translated to people gravitating to him as well. But this was the feud that gave him the platform to best showcase his skill set in the ring. The quality of the matches that he was having, the stories that he told with Ricky Steamboat were of a higher level than anything he had done prior to that on the WWF stage. So without the Ricky the Dragon Steamboat match, and this is a testament to Ricky Steamboat, I don't know that you get the same kind of resonance from the fan base that ultimately leads to what becomes of Jake Roberts in 1987, because this is October. By 
January, he's well on his way to becoming uh, the number, um, you know, basically the number three most popular guy in the company, if not number two behind Hogan. Mm. So uh, very historical piece of a piece of work from these guys when you bring up those elements. Absolutely. An important match. Uh, to watch and you know I'm sure I, I haven't looked for them but I'm, I'd am i be pretty certain and pretty confident that the preceding two matches are probably available to see on the network as well so well worth checking out Jake the Snake Roberts versus Ricky the Dragon Steamboat in a snake pit match Saturday night's main event 4th of October 1986 it's on the network if you can navigate the horrific update um, of the network uh, it's, it's there to see and highly recommended by myself of course by the doc who uh, picked it Doc, thank you for joining me this week to explore that match. You'll be back with me next week, of course. Uh, And uh, if you wanted to know what match we'll be covering next week, folks, uh, it's another old classic. This one was my pick, and it was actually a match I hadn't seen before I sat down to watch it for the purpose of this show. It was a match I was aware of. I just never watched it, and I thought it'd be quite fitting. Speaking of, of early 1987, it is Hulk Hogan defending the WWF Championship against Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff with Bobby the Brain Heenan in his corner in a steel cage match on Saturday night's main event from the 3rd of January 1987 so uh, you can be sure to go check that out on the network ahead of next week's show. Thanks again Doc it's been a pleasure to have you here Thank you again for having me I enjoyed it and I look forward to talking about the next match Marvellous stuff and guys if you have any thoughts just before I head off here about any of the things that Doc and I have discussed this week or about the match we've discussed this week or indeed if you want to let me know any thoughts about the match we're going to be discussing next week ahead of time you could do so through all the usual means tweet me at LOP plan drop me an email at samuel.plan101 at gmail.com look me up on Facebook just look for Samuel Plan you could drop me a comment on lordsofpain.net on any of my podcasts or column posts or even head over to Spreaker and do it there or of course best of all you could sign up to LOP forums we get loads of comments great comments each and every single week on articles and columns of podcasts that we post on the site from you guys and i think many of you i'm not just saying this many of you would make for great columnists head over there and hell even if you don't want to write wrestling columns you just want to talk to some good folks about some good stuff <coughs> lop forums is the place to do it so with that being said my thanks once again to doc look forward to him joining me again next week look forward to you doing the same and until this time next week stay safe and have a good one guys